the guy who's known for making rash decisions. <laughs> a raft decision. Um, <laughs> or a raft decision. <laughs> Man, that's what we need. We need like one of those. <laughs> 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 Rob here from Turtle Tales Radio, and actually, you know what? It's not really a Turtle Tales Radio episode today. No, it is not. Uh, today, it's another episode of Booyaka Tales Radio, and you know what that means? I am joined by my main man, my partner in Ninja Turtle Crime, IDW Ninja Turtle Crime, Mr. Zach Norris. How are you, buddy? I'm good, Rob. What's up, man? Oh, not not a whole lot, man. I'm just super excited. It is the day after issue 114 has come out. So, you know, naturally we're here talking uh, turtles as always. Uh, but before we get into the issue, man, how have you been doing since the last, I guess, episode we've recorded? Uh, I've been pretty good, man. Just um, Just working and trying to prepare myself for the summer and make sure that, like, my family and I are healthy and... Just, just kind of living the dream, trying to keep up with these comic <laughs> books and enjoy some turtle stuff. Yeah, buddy, I hear you, man. Same here, same here. It's, it's good to, it's good to work a little bit. School's still open. Knock on wood. I've got a wooden desk here, so I'm doing that right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, work's still okay, and uh, the family's been healthy and safe. Uh, so, man, I've, I'm really blessed there, and uh, and I hope everyone listening is is doing well during this. This pretty definitely yeah wild and crazy time we're in. Yes, you mentioned comic books. Oh my goodness, I went to the comic book shop to pick up one fourteen yesterday, and I forgot about the Ninja Turtle one offs they're doing. You know, with the Leonardo collection and the Raph collection. Um, have you picked up any of those yet? The the ones with just the individual turtles. I guess it's like a macro series for each one. So it is a what they you're talking about the one where it's like an all red cover with wrath yeah, and that's all the blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what they're calling those is um a greatest hits like a Raph's greatest hits or Leo's greatest hits and it's a collection. This is I thought this was a pretty cool idea. I've seen I don't know if Marvel's done something like this. I feel like DC has done it more recently and that's maybe where IDW got the idea from where to celebrate like the 75th anniversary of this character or the 80th anniversary of this character, DC comics would put out a one shot. That's like a celebration issue of that character. And what they do is they get writers and artists from before and writers and artists from now. And everybody contributes like a little four or five page mini story, or they do like a collection of here's this classic Robin story from here from this decade and then a classic Robin story from this decade and then a new Robin story from now and they smash it all into one book and they charge you $8.99 for the book and then you know you go on about your business and that's apparently what IDW has done with these is there's there's been three so far Raph, Donnie and now Leonardo is the most recent and what IDW did is it's each one is three stories from Turtles history so you get basically 
a Mirage story, an IDW story, and then one other random story that focuses on that character. So oh, wow. I have the three. The only one that I spent serious time with was the Raphael one because I've just been kind of reading a lot of other comics right now. But um, but they're pretty cool, man. They're they're a little bit hefty on the price tag. Um, I want to say they're five ninety nine or six ninety nine. But you get three stories, and they're pretty big books. So they're they're pretty cool. That sounds awesome. So you said they're they're part Mirage. Do do they have like is it the exact artwork and the color? Or did they color the old Mirage ones? Or are they still in black and white? You know what, dude? Now that you ask me, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I can't remember if the. Cause the the Raf one, like I said, the Raf one is the only one I kind of dug through, and it's got the it's got the Weapon R story that Kevin Eastman and Ben Bishop did, and I know it's got like a classic Raf story from the Mirage days, because I recognize the art obviously and the style of it, but I don't remember now if it was in black and white or full color. But it it just seems like they're kind of trying to give you a like a a full look at Turtles history through comics. Or at least a a classic look and then a modern look. Um, That's cool. But yeah, they're, they're definitely definitely worth it if you're, you know, a just a diehard Turtles fan that wants every issue of everything or if you're a Turtles fan that's trying to maybe show somebody else the greatness of Turtles comics, you know, it might be good to buy and read through once and then give to a friend and, you know, share it that way. But they're they're pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably end up buying it. I'll probably end up buying it. I was, I was hoping <laughs> when you said greatest hits that it was like maybe a just a comic adaptation of uh, maybe Turtles three for the Donatello issue. You know, where he oh, gives his famous. Okay. You respected maybe the Adams family, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so, right. Something like that. You know, you know, in comic form, that would be nice. But you know, can't get everything. Right, and all my comics are right here at my feet, dude. I just, I, I don't want to waste any time on the show <laughs> digging it out and opening the bag and. <laughs> Um, like, give me a minute, listeners. Hang on. Oh, where right. is it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, but I am, I'm almost, I'm almost ninety percent certain that the way it's laid out is you get the maybe that's what it is, dude. Maybe it's the it's the OG one shot. Mm-hmm. You know that we all like know and love for that character. So like, oh, yeah. the Raf, the Raf one shot where we get Casey Jones for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's the first IDW one shot that came out in like 2012 or something like that. And then it's the most recent IDW one shot. That's Maybe. really cool. I like that. I Maybe. Like that. Don't don't quote me on that, but it might be. You know what I wish IDW would do one day? And and I'll I'll say this and then I'll hush and we can get into the comic, but I wish IDW would do like a kind of like you said a minute ago, a greatest hits. But like, do some of the like the the fan favorite moments just in comic books for each turtle. So yeah. yeah, instead of just doing the 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 one shots that we all know already, but maybe like pick a couple of really great scenes from Tales. You know, a Donatello scene. Like I'm thinking of the Kadish issue from uh, Tales Volume Two. That's one of my favorite Donatello issues ever, and no one talks about that issue. So right. I know there are others. But I guess it would just be a madhouse trying to figure out what you select, what you don't, how you make it right, flow. Right. But, I mean, I'd buy it. You know, Turtles, it, I'm sure Turtles would still sell. Dude, it could be, to me, like working working in the, the industry that I work in and being like kind of closely, I don't work in marketing, but I work for a small business that 
like I've worked pretty closely with the marketing team at times. And something that we're always talking about and always wondering about and always trying to capital on is engagement, right? Mm -hmm. How do we connect with the people who buy our stuff? How do we keep mm. them looking at our stuff? And for me, if IDW really wanted to engage people, then what you just said is a perfect idea, right? Like, let's say, let's say if they came up with a list of 20 Ninja Turtle mini stories or one shots or whatever, they could put up a poll on the website, have people come vote for it, and then they just take the five or 10 most voted on stories and throw them into like a trade paperback and then boom, Ninja Turtle Greatest Hits. Right, yeah, and then just do a C blah, blah, blah issue, you know, for the rest of the story. And guess what? Yeah. That inspires people to want to buy more issues. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I feel like that's kind of what they went for here, but just grabbing little mini chunks of a character of each turtle's history and going, here's like a sample platter of Raphael. Here's a sample platter of Donatello. Enjoy it and then come buy stuff from us. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a wonderful idea. That's what they always get us, buddy. That's what they always get Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, guys. So we are on issue 114 of the IDW series. So well into I, – and I can't believe this. It has been 14 issues with Sophie Campbell now. I mean, I feel like still – and I mean this as a compliment. I feel like she's just getting started. You know what? I'm – Rob, I'm glad you brought that up because I would have forgotten if you didn't. Um, a couple issues ago when we started this on issue 112, I was talking about Sophie Campbell had tweeted that she's she's done after 120. And I remember you and I being like, man, like 20 issues, it feels like such a short little burst and we wish she had more. And then we released that episode and Sophie responded and was like, hey, I'm actually on the book until 123. Yeah, And I was like, okay, cool, sweet, 23, you know, issues, we get three more. Well, then she tweeted just recently before we did this, uh, not just before we did this episode, maybe it was a week ago, I don't know, but she said now that she's actually going to be on Turtles longer than she expected. And so I responded to that tweet and was like, does this mean longer than the initial 120 or longer than 123? And she said, longer than 123. Yes! So, right. So, we're getting more Sophie than she thought, more Sophie than we thought, and hopefully, like, a good, solid chunk of, like, whether it's 30 issues or 35, whatever it may be, like, that's a good, solid two years, two years plus of Sophie Campbell guiding these characters into the next generation, you know? So, really exciting stuff. Sweet! You just made my day. I had no idea. You just made my day. <laughs> well, I'm happy to help. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it just feels like things are really heating up. A lot has happened. Don't get me wrong. It's just, man, I cannot believe it's already been 14 issues since Tom Waltz. Oh, man. Really, man. Really. And that's that's something that we kind of talked about with 113 and yeah. we kind of talked about it with 112 where Sophie did a really, really wonderful job of laying the foundation of Mutant Town and what the Turtles were up to and them coming back together as a family that, you know, a lot of readers were, or at least not a lot, I don't want to speak for a bunch of people, but I saw some stuff on Twitter where people were saying, you know, it's it's a little slow and it's more, there's more character stuff, there's not a lot of action. So what I feel like 
has happened here is Sophie knows her strengths, obviously, as a writer. But what I feel like is easily one of her strengths is her character development and her character building. And so that's what we've seen develop for 10 plus issues now going into issue 14. But we saw all that groundwork be laid and all that character work be rolled out. And now the the sparks are starting to turn into flames. Mm. And, and I think that's what's going to happen here as we talk about 114 and go into 115. Dude, the cover for 115 is Rocksteady and Bebop squaring off with Toka and Razar. The the cover for 116 is like a silhouette of Karai standing behind Jenica, and Jenica's got like a bloody mark on her chest that looks like the Foot Clan logo. So it's there's there's very ominous artwork out there that lends itself to the idea of things getting very epic very quickly. So I think all the all the patience that people have had is going to pay off. All the slow burn character development that Sophie and the team have been doing is going to pay off, and we're going to see epic stuff. Oh, I man, that's beautifully said, and I, I completely agree. And, you know, I think what it is is we were so used to Tom Waltz's style where he'd ha- – I mean, you could feel the story arcs. You know, it's like, okay, sure. we're going to do – and, and I, I – don't mean that as an insult or anything like that. I, I just, I'm just saying that's how it felt. You'd have a couple issues where they're with the neutrinos. Then you'd have a couple of Krang issues. Then you'd hear from Baxter over here. And then, um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? The guy who hates mutants. What's his name? Bishop. Okay. Then you'd have yeah, Bishop, Bishop for a few. Uh, Bishop. So, you know, we, there were so many things and we were always bouncing around. And that's a pacing that we had gotten used to for a hundred some issues. But, Absolutely. Yeah. But Sophie does. Kind of what Peter Laird did in Volume Four. He she slows it down, and like you said, just develops the characters, develop this kind of universe within Mutant Town. And like mm-hmm. you said, boy, that's a great analogy. With you know, the sparks are starting to turn into flames. I can totally see it. Things are heating Dude, up. And by the end of this, uh, sorry to cut you off. No, go but ahead. By the end of this, by the end of this issue, we're we're definitely the the flames are growing for sure. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Good stuff. Hello, violators. You're in Casey's comic classroom. Prepare to be schooled. The story so far. This is the inside cover here. Oh, by the way, the creative team story consulting was done by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz. Story and art by Sophie Campbell. The colors by Rhonda Patterson. Letters by Sean Lee and the editor Bobby Kernow. So the story so far. Karai, returning from picking up two young but huge mutants from Hob, has become incapacitated during a helicopter crash. Meanwhile, a future version of Lita has introduced herself to the TMNT, promising a catastrophic future if they don't change the timeline. So this issue literally starts seconds after the uh, issue 113 ends, where if uh, you all recall, that's where future Lita confronts Jenica and says, look, if we don't change things, you're going to be the one that, that kills Karai. That, that murderer is still in you. That, that assassin nature is still in you. And this is something that, that Jenica does not want to hear, does not want to hear. And we see a little bit later on in the issue, a great scene. I can't wait to talk about it. That, that deals a little bit more with that and, and her being an assassin. But yeah, this issue starts right after that, where little Lita, and this is kind of trippy. Uh, little Lita, she's chasing after mushrooms and zinc, 
and they've got their little headbands, and they see Raph, who's still in that one corner because he had overheard the previous conversation. And he goes, whoa there, kiddos, shouldn't you be in bed or something? And then little Lita sees her future self, which I got a feeling this would have something to do. With- Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, so she's like I I was thinking the same thing, man. I was like I was like, "Ah, she's done it." It definitely seems like this is either going this is either Sophie Campbell saying, "Hey, time travel is funny. I'm not going to try to take these rules too seriously." Right. Or it's the setup for something catastrophic to happen because little Lita has met big Lita. So, I'm interested to see how that turns out. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. So she's like, uh, "Little Lita goes, Oh, you're all white just like me. And then Big Lita's like, oh, well, I am you. Uh, we're the same person. And she goes, oh, gosh, I, I hope meeting my young self doesn't rend space-time apart. So, you know, she's kind of – Sophie's kind of fun <laughs> right there. She's like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe this will affect things. Maybe not. We'll see. All right. So we get right into the cuteness, just full-on cuteness on display as <laughs> Raph is talking to the weasels and little Lita – Little Lita is talking to Big Lita, talking about why she doesn't like pink. She wants a bandana that's black or purple like Donatello. Raph, being a little jealous, is like, hey, what about red like mine? Future Lita says, pink is better. Just look how cool. And you see Little Lita just like, yeah, pink. <laughs> and it's it's funny because you see this little character that's like, I don't like pink. But then she sees how cool she is in the future and so it's like this weird chicken or the egg thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a chicken or the egg thing. Like, does she like pink because she saw it on her future self? Or does future self like it for some other reason? <laughs> What's going on here? So who knows? But a really cool little panel here with Donatello and Bludgeon. And I do have a note here about Bludgeon seeming like he's turned over a new leaf. Yeah. You know, we saw him way back in in the early issues of Sophie's work where the Turtle Crew was leaving the 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 metal show and Koya and Bludgeon were like looking out for them and mm-hmm. Koya was like, "Let's strike, let's attack them, blah blah blah." And Bludgeon was like, "Nah, like chill out, man. Let them let them have some peace. Let them enjoy themselves." And so now here he is laid up in this infirmary, wounded, and he's not like freaking out, where's Karai, I'm going to get you turtles. He's like, yo, I've got to warn you guys, there are these giants running around Mutant Town, and they are going to be bad news. And not only that, but because we haven't returned with these mutants that are going to be bad news, more bad news is showing up in the forms of Rocksteady and Bebop. So you guys really need to be on your P's and Q's. And and I thought that was cool of Bludgeon because he didn't have to do that. I totally noticed that early on, too, in, in Sophie's run where he said that. He's like, ah, let's not strike them and everything. I'm like, I didn't know Bludgeon was turning uh, baby face on us all of a sudden. Yeah, he, dude, he, total, he, he had built up all the heel heat. <laughs> and then and now we've seen him switch. He's totally a baby face. Or at least it, it seems like he might end up being... You know, it's kind of like one of those things like Sally, you know? Yeah. Sally was part of the Mutanimals, but she was, you know, a moral compass for them or tried to be a moral compass for them. It's like, are we going to see Bludgeon kind of end up switching sides because he has a different view of what's right and wrong, you know? Mm. And we already got the little, like, kind of future spoiler about 
Koya and Leonardo being a thing from future Lita. So it's like, is Bludgeon going to switch sides and Koya is going to go with him kind of begrudgingly or maybe not begrudgingly? Like what, what ends up happening to the foot clan that makes, you know, Bludgeon and Koya leave like, you know, so it's, it's interesting stuff, man. But yeah, Bludgeon is definitely showing us a side of him. We haven't seen it's, it, you know, it's not just vicious blind, you know, mystical shark stuff. He's, he's definitely got a heart of gold. I don't know. Maybe it's just bronze for now. He's working on the gold. <laughs> so we cut to, of course, Bludgeon mentions the bad news, and then we cut to the bad news where we see Rocksteady, Anchovy, and Bebop, and this character whose name I can never remember. Oh, dude. that's so funny. I was about to ask you because I was the same way. I I remember her from Universe. You remember the Universe issues she was in? Absolutely. Dude, she's in Universe. She plays a big part in City at War, like helping Karai yeah, and stuff. That's I so just funny. can never and I should have I meant to look this up last night but I got wrapped up doing something. I was going to go to like the Turtlepedia and just find her name but I didn't want to just search bald woman with tattoo foot clan like purple dragon lady so yeah yeah i'm i'm so sorry to sophie and tom and kevin and bobby and the gang i cannot remember this character's name she looks so rad here though like this is the our first time seeing her uh to my knowledge rendered by sophie campbell and she looks so cool but uh but they are in mutant town and they're looking for cry and the mutants and that cannot be a good thing yeah, and I, you know what, Bebop and Rocksteady, I think they did such a great job. And first of all, I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, is this the first time, yeah, this is the first time they've shown up in Mutant Town. So this is the first time since Tom Waltz we've seen them, right? It is, well, I'm assuming, it's definitely the first time we've seen them. Yeah. To, to my knowledge, in or to my memory, excuse me, in 101 through 114. And... They did show up, I think they showed up briefly in the 2020 annual. Oh, that's right. Maybe, yeah. but it's it's definitely our first time seeing them directly in Mutant Town. Like, we know they've been with Karai. We know they've probably been helping her do whatever she's doing. But to see them actually in Mutant Town looking for the turtles, I believe it's a first. So, yeah, yeah. We're and in I, uncharted territory. No kidding, no kidding. And like I was saying, man, I I love what IDW's done with those two characters because they've got the the sense of humor of the cartoon Bebop and Rocksteady we all know and love, but they yep. have the destruction of just I cannot even think of a a comparable character. I mean, you know, we can all right. go back to of course the infamous Donatello issue, but mm-hmm. I mean these guys these guys are destructive forces, and yet they are about to. Well, let me just hush, and we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will get yes, there. Yes, absolutely. That's my see. That's my problem as a as a reviewer, man. I just I just hit the ground running, man. <laughs> Skip hey, it's ahead. all good, dude. Everybody's got their own style. You do you, Rob. Thanks, buddy. You too. You want to take over on this Jenica Karai stuff? Sure, sure. Okay, all right. I'm just I'm thankful, man. You gave me this page because it's probably my favorite page in the whole book. I love, oh man, I love this. So you flip over the page, right? So you see Bebop and Roxanne, you're like, hey, I miss those guys. And uh, and then you turn the page and then you instantly have a nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) You've got uh, this demon and she looks kind of like, she looks kind of like Kitsune a little bit. If Kitsune Mm -hmm. was some kind of demon and the teeth, oh man, Sophie Campbell 
definitely needs to draw some horror comics. She looks this looks great. But here it is, we have this demon overshadowing Jenica. I think that's such great symbolism or a metaphor, whatever you want to call it. But the demons that Jenica is facing, you know, she she stays up at night and who knows how many nights she's felt this way, the, how many sleepless nights she's had where she's wondered and faced those demons. Is she that heartless assassin, that cold, calculated assassin, or is she more than that? Is she is she the Jenica that we know and love? Um, right. So she battles that every day. And now with Karai being taken care of right now <laughs> in their building, that's a trigger for her. So you get this really great paneling here. Probably, like I said, my favorite, my favorite uh, page of the book where the demon is overshadowing Jenica, who's just kind of huddled, um, you know, in her blankets there. Finally, she gets out of bed and then she walks into the same room as Karai, who's bandaged up. And, you know, she's, she's barely, barely hanging on herself. And, uh, Jenica walks in and she has this face of determination. And I love, I didn't notice it the first time I read it, but I notice it now. I love how one of Jenica's eyes, you can see her pupils towards, there's almost still a human side of her. And then the other eye is just this cold white, you know? Yes, dude. Yeah. Yes. And then by the next page, they're both that cold white, you know, like we, we often see that interchange between the turtles sometimes. Yeah, and and here we it definitely feels like it's it's intentional, that when her eyes turn that way, she's not herself anymore. She's that assassin, and she's about to she's about to murder Karai. She comes in, she confronts Karai. Actually, Karai talks to her. She goes, "Who are you? Where is this?" And Jenica answers her, "We saved your life, which I don't know if you deserve." So basically, Karai, she's all bandaged up. She goes, "Which one are you? I don't recognize you." And again, we see uh, Jenica's oh, boy. cold eyes. And she's like, oh, you will you will remember me. And yeah. she goes, Jenica, you murdered me. She explains. She goes, I got a blood transfusion from Leonardo and woke up like this. And I think it's really yeah, interesting. Um, Karai's response, I, I really like it. It's, she goes, ah, someone like that other, the other turtles and their lost lives from centuries ago. This is good stuff right here. I'd I'd oh, be man. remiss if we didn't spend a little time digesting this. First off, I love you're absolutely right. We go from this scene of Rocksteady and Bebop like showing up in Mutant Town. It seems like nonchalant and fun. You turn the page and then oh my god, there's a giant red demon floating over Jennifer. <laughs> like what the heck? And at first, because of the stuff that was said Remember Raph saying in 113, like talking to Leo and being like, hey man, like, are you good? Are you okay? And so when I first turned this page, I thought that was Leonardo. But then when, obviously when they go to the room and then you read the rest of it and I saw the other page where, you know, she clearly says Jenica, I was like, oh, okay, this is not Leo, it's Jenny. So seeing that demon, like you said, it's like the demon of her past and the things she's done but it also like it resembles Kitsune, but it also resembles Karai in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this it's this thing looming over her that she's trying to fight. And so I think her I don't wanna say that she a hundred percent went down there to kill Karai. Ah, yeah. I, but but what, what you said with like, you know, we see her looking past the curtain and you can see one pupil and then the other, we got the white out. 
which is usually like a stealth mode or an action mode or like the turtles being quote unquote serious, you know? And that panel where Karai says, I don't recognize you. And then you get the quick, like all white eyes. And then just this intense, just very angry stare from Jenica. Jeez Louise, man. I, I was just so hyped on just the facial work here and the expressions that Sophie Campbell did and Rhonda Patterson's coloring just all sells this. Like the red of that demon is so like so starkly contrast the rest of these pages. Right, yeah. And something that I started realizing, especially with these pages, and again, this is something that we kind of referenced in the last uh, issue. In the page on the left, when Jenny's walking down the hall, we've got a background. When she walks into the room with Karai, we've got a background. Karai's head on the pillow, we've got a background and stuff. But then something that Sophie Campbell does, and I'm now I'm realizing that this is intentional, is when you get into these really serious conversations or these important conversations or these intense conversations, conversations, excuse me, Sophie Campbell leaves the background out. Mm, yeah. It, it lets you, it lets you focus entirely on the people saying things and what they're saying in the last couple issues or in other issues where I've noticed it, I almost just chalked it up to like, oh, well, that's comic books. Like sometimes, you know, like artists will leave out backgrounds if they feel like they don't need it or if there's time constraints. Like we understand that Jenny and Karai are in a house, so we don't need a background in every panel. I get it. But now I'm I'm realizing this is being done intentionally to show you the the absolute like the the art team and the writing wants you to focus on what's being said. So they're not wasting time drawing in some like wood panel walls in the background or a window or whatever. Right. That's a great point. But so you you also touched on so all this all this stuff is great. I love these expressions from from Jenny. I love the panel where Jenny is actually off panel and says you murdered me and Karai's eyes are like they open up like in realization because in all the other panels, her eyes are kind of squinted and she's drowsy and tired. And in that one, there's like this shock of realization, like, Oh man. Um, but what you said about Karai saying, Oh, it's somewhat like the other turtles and their lost lives from centuries ago. And then you turn the page and she says, death gave all of you new bodies and new lives. Poetic. Dude, I cannot help but feel like that's going to be important. Yeah, I agree. Because not only does Karai say that, but then there's a little thing that Leo says later in the issue that we'll get to that almost kind of also plays on that idea a little bit, like the different lives of the turtles and their souls, you know, coming through in these mutated turtles and whatnot, but... But yeah, man, so the, the page we follow up with, Karai says, you know, you're here to kill me, get it over with. She's kind of antagonizing Jenica. You know what you're trained to do. I know what you do. Just do it. And Jenny kind of sits with it a little bit, and you can see her, you know, battling the thought and not wanting, you know, she's weighing it on her mind. And is this me? Is this not me? 
and then her eyes go white and it's like if you if you want to look at this scene and be kind of pessimistic about it you could say that Jenny's sliding into like her old habits and her old training or if you want to be optimistic you could say that she's really angry and really like focused on the idea of not sliding into her past you know yeah mm -hmm. and then who comes in to stop somebody from maybe making a rash rash decision who comes in and stops somebody from doing that other than the guy who's known for making rash decisions <laughs> a raft decision um, <laughs> or a raft decision <laughs> Man, that's what we need. We need like one of those sound effects. It's one of those things you just, um, you know, better left just think it and not say it. But you know, no, no way, dude. It's great. the The sad trumpet just emphasizes, like, hey, we're we're good at puns over here. Um, but Raph comes in and says, "Don't even think about it, Jen. I heard what Lita told you, and this is again." This is a great, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this page on the right to Robin. I'll let you take the next flip. But I love this stuff between Raph and Jenica here because Raph is trying to be empathetic and he is trying to be understanding and he wants to help Jenny not make a bad decision. But he's also being kind of gruff, kind of Raph. Like he's not, he's not walking on eggshells. He's not being soft about it, you know. He's been a little too rough. Um, maybe he's being a little too rough. Um, <laughs> he says, he tells Jenny, I heard what Lita told you. And so Jenny says, oh, you're spying on me, huh? And he says, I wish I didn't have to, but here we are. Jenny says, so you and Lita are just going to lurk around me like babysitters. You can't trust me not to just kill people right in our dojo. And Raph says, I don't know. Didn't seem like you and Karai were having a friendly chat. Maybe get busy with that band thing Lita was talking about instead. You know, so everything won't go to complete hell. Jenny looks back at Karai, and now this, Rob, I'm interested to hear what your take on this is, uh, and I'll be interested to see, you know, if Sophie clarifies this, because, you know, quick shout out to Sophie Campbell real quick. She's been really rad about actually listening to the episodes that we create and then letting us know things like on Twitter and stuff. So shout out to her, because not everybody would do that. Um, so I, I appreciate her taking the time. So Shout out Sophie Campbell, but Jenny, in the bottom two panels, I'm a little, just a little confused as to what's happening, or maybe it's one of those things that's like been being done intentionally to kind of throw us off, because we've got Jenny and Raph facing each other, and then the next two panels is Raph is facing to the right, Jenica's facing to the left, but she looks back over her shoulder at Karai. So right here, are we seeing in the bottom panel... Are we seeing Jenica turn back towards Karai like she's going to say something or do something and Raph is stopping her? Or Ooh, good question. Like like is he putting his hand on his, on her shell to grab her and stop her or is he trying to be again empathetic and like sentimental is he is he trying to put his hand on her shoulder like hey like it's all good I've got you like I'm here we don't have time to figure that out because next page stuff happens. I'll let you take it. Yeah. Over. Yeah. I was wondering the same thing because all of a sudden their eyes go white again, you know, Raph yep. and Jenica's that time. So like, was she thinking, ah, you know, I, I can't walk away from her. And you know, we have to put this in perspective too. Jenica was murdered by Karai 
um, she you, was. you know, issues ago, <laughs> way back when Karai was confronting Splinter and Jenica stepped in to save Splinter's life and uh, Karai ended up killing her. And then that's where the whole Jenica, you know, transfusion came in, you know, female Ninja Turtle. I mean, it blew up in comic book news and everything. Uh, so yep. th- this is the first real confrontation since then. And you can, you can only imagine the the uh, the battle that's going on Jenica's mind. Absolutely. Yeah. So, man, you bring up a great point about Raph, you know, grabbing her shell. And there's a little bit of, um, I don't know what you would call it, just some lines to show maybe he grabbed it a little too hard <laughs> or something. Right, right. Because when you flip the page, Jenica, you know, she's like, oh, no, you didn't. She elbows him uh, right in the chest. <laughs> And I love Raph. You know, he's not hes not going to take it easy on her. He, he punches her right across the face. But, buddy, she doesn't yep. take it easy on him either. She just goes right after him, and they're beating the crap out of each other. And I love it because they are so good together. Like, they are so good. I love they their are. back and forth. They, they remind me of just these rough-and-tumble siblings that aren't afraid to – Tell each other what they think, how they feel, but you know deep down they care about each other. They, there's an understanding between the two. This just happens to be a physical frustration here. And, uh, yep, it's a great little few panels here where they're just being the snot out of each other. And I love I love <laughs> Koya's in the background like, whoa. <laughs> but then she's clearly enjoying it because she goes, no, let them fight. Let them fight. When- <laughs> Dude, the, the no, let them fight, I literally laughed out loud the first time I <laughs> Like, it. almost like she's kicking back with a, a thing of popcorn. Eh, let them fight. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, so I guess a panel before that, Leonardo and Lita and Donatello. You know, I love their color-coded uh, clothes. That was great. <laughs> their color-coordinated pajamas. Yeah, I, lo- I love Donnie's, especially the uh, the bubbles. <laughs> or yep, polka yep. dots, whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, they, they run in and they kind of break it up to Koya's dismay. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, let's see. I'm trying to remember. So Je- uh, Lita, she goes, Mom, I mean, I mean Jenny. And Jenny just kind of looks at her and goes, don't you dare call me that. And, gosh, artists are so good at this. They just give you one look. And I felt so bad for Lita right there in that little panel. Yep. Yep. You know, she looks so dejected. And then uh, Leonardo goes, Jenny, don't go anywhere. Patrol in 10 minutes. Gear up. And I love, I love this line here. You should have let me die. Man, can you, can you imagine that? Like, that's a, that's a tough, that's how low she thinks of herself right now. That was a, it was a, a, a gut check moment. Just one little bubble. And, and I didn't, I didn't expect it. And I think that's what got me so much is I expected her to be angry. I expected her to be sad, you know, upset, all these things. But, Leo, I feel like he's kind of doing a little bit of damage control here. He's like, you know, throw your gear on. Let's get out yeah. of there. Like, let's get out of here and go, you know, get some fresh air, stretch our legs type of thing. And her just, you should have let me die. And, oh, man, I was like, no way, dude. That was such a bummer. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me think, gosh, ever since issue one of Ninja Turtles, it's all about vengeance, right? It's all about Splinter getting vengeance on a Rogunagi, um, I think it was. Yeah, yes. it's like it's Splinter's brother or something, or it's not Splinter's brother, Shredder's yes, brother. Yes, exactly. So, so you know, from issue one, it's all about vengeance, right? So here, Jenica, she's a trained assassin. I'm sure vengeance is something she certainly knows all about, and and mm-hmm. now she finally has, you know, she's been tr- she's been mutated for crying out loud. So she's had a lot to deal with emotionally, and the one probably thing she still has that is just in her, in her instincts, her purpose, 
is getting even, you know, and now she can't or she feels like she can't. And maybe that's why she doesn't feel like she has a purpose anymore. She's like, you just, you should let me die, you know? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, maybe I'm reading way too into that, but I thought that was such a fascinating line. Uh, dude, I, yeah, I, I don't think it's reading too much into it. I think there's so many different ways it could go, mm-hmm. you know? It's like she's she's fighting against her training and how she identifies, but she also isn't isn't sure how she identifies with herself anymore because she's still grappling with becoming a turtle as opposed to being a human. She's got this new family where she probably still uh, still feels a little left out. Mm-hmm. And now this family that she's been connecting with and becoming a part of is aiding the person who murdered her. Like she's in over her head and understandably so in a like raging sea of emotions. And so I think the, the line you should have let me die is just, you know, a, a very emotional, you know, broken hearted response. Um, yeah. But no, I, I think you're absolutely right, dude. There's just a, a ton of things going on with her. And she probably just thinks that like, if Leo, if Leo hadn't saved me, I wouldn't be here emotionally, you know, drowning. Right. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a bummer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you're in that storm, man, that's all you can see sometimes. And, uh, that's how she feels. You know, she's kind of forgotten all the good things that have happened since then. But, uh, well, really there's not been a ton of good things, but there's been some. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, so the next page we get Michelangelo talking to Mona Lisa here and she's like, Michelangelo, where have you been? And I love this. This is like a typical Michelangelo response. He's like, sorry, we got some ninjing to do. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, seriously, did you forget about the signs for the protest? We were supposed to meet an hour ago. And he's like, look, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'll make it up to you next time. I'm really sorry. And I like Mona's response here. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like there won't be more ninja baloney tomorrow too. He's in a rush. He's heading out. But then he ducks his head into the kids' playroom where uh, – Adult Lita is talking to Little Lita again. So we've got Mikey showing up in the kids' room, and Little Lita's like, Uncle Mike, I'm going to be cool like Big Lita one day. And Big Lita, knowing that Little Lita becomes her, or that she is what she became, is like, you sure are. And Lita's, Little Lita holding clunk says, but I want to be a ninja. Big Lita's going to teach me future ninja moves. And Mikey's like, yo, that's super cool. We got to go. See you out there. She's like, little Lita, take care of Clunk while we're gone. Be back soon. The weasels are like, yeah, later. And then right as future Lita is going to take off, her past self says, tell me about your magical staff. And then boom, there's Renette. <laughs> screaming at Lita from another dimension. And dude, the the reaction expressions from the weasels and Lita and Clunk running away absolutely slayed me dude the first time i read this the especially dude especially the little gray weasel who's like he's like holding a ball or an orange or something (laughs) throws it in the air (laughs) and yeah renette shows up and he's just like panic like throws it in the air and his eyes are just super wide killed me the first time i I read through it dude but lita's uh lita is a little she's a little shocked um to be I, I guess is the best way to put it. She's like, oh, crap, I'm I'm in trouble. And Renette's like, yo, I trusted you. I need you to bring this back. But who are these cute little monsters that you're hanging out with? Um, and she's like, okay, but bring the scepter back right this instant. 
Lena's like, I can't, I've, you know, got something to do. And then again, another little cute moment, little Lita after seeing all that is like, I want to be like her. (laughs) Uh, So that's cool because we, you know, obviously we see that little Lita ends up becoming a mix of both of these things. She's a ninja. She's futuristic. She's a time wizardess. I don't know what a time witch. I don't know what Renette's official title is. I like time witch. Uh, Or her job. Yeah. You know, um, but uh, but yeah, and so it's cool seeing like again chicken or the egg type thing where little Lita's seeing all this stuff and is like, man, that's what I want to be, and then she did it. So I love the the way that they write Renette's lines. She's like she reminds me of a Valley Girl. Like, oh my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of like Valley Girl, and then like a little bit of like with the. I don't know something about the G A W W D God. I'm yes, dude. I was like, oh man, it's like, am I am I in L A or am I in she New need, Jersey? She needs I her own know. reality show. I'm telling you. I mean, I'd watch it. Time travel. Come on. She needs, she, dude. She needs her own multiple reality show. Uh, oh, that was good. See, see me. <laughs> I see you. I see you. <laughs> so we uh, we cut from all that cuteness and time travel fun back to the bad guys. And they literally just, Sophie here takes a page to remind us that Bebop and Rocksteady are giant jerks <laughs> because, because they go to the kennel club and they basically disrupt an after the bomb show. They get on stage, they kick um, Sheena and her guitar player off stage, they start jamming literally for no other <laughs> reason than just to do it and be mean. And then we cut over to another one of my favorite scenes in the book. And Rob, I'll let you take it from here with uh, with page 14. Oh, okay, sounds good. Yeah, just to back up real quick. Okay, this scene got me cracked up where they literally just run on this. Hey, remember when we used to play, Biebs? And they're, they're like, yeah, yeah. So they run on the stage. They kick the, the band off after the bomb, like you said. And poor Sheena, man. She's had a hard time like, the last couple of issues, man. Yeah, she has. <laughs> And it also is one of those things that just reinforces how big Rocksteady and Bebop are. Because, dude, look at that guitar player. He's a big shark. I know. He's not a small dude. And they just chuck him off stage like he's a little kid. And they start jamming. And I think, again, it's kind of of just a fun little... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, not... I don't know what you would call this type of scene, but it, it, it's just like a brief little glimpse of them doing their thing, but reinforces like how big and how strong they are mm-hmm. without like a crazy action scene. And so then when you compare this scene of Rock City and Bebop easily manhandling this this shark and Sheena and just tossing them off stage like they're just little babies, and then when we get to the end of this issue and see to other very large characters, it's just like, oh my goodness, like the turtles are just about to be in over their heads with giant mutants. Too. Oh, for sure, for sure. Oh, it's gonna be so good. And I love. I can't wait till we talk about just the cover of the next issue because I've already got theories. Yes. Uh, I'm really, I'm really yes. excited. So, yeah. So we turn the page here and we get a cutaway to the turtles. They're making their way to patrol here to try to find the uh, uh, Toka and Razar. So Donatello and Jenica kind of have a moment here, and uh, Donnie goes, hey, Jenny, I know I already asked, and then I like this. This is a great scene here. I- I'm with you, buddy. 
she, uh, Jenica goes, look, I'm okay, Donnie. Are you? Uh, yeah, why? And this is interesting because we haven't talked about this in a while, and I really kind of didn't mm-hmm. even – I'm embarrassed, but I didn't even really think about it until she brought it up. She goes, I know what Bebop and Rocksteady did to you. You seem a little on edge. That's all. And, you know, of course, we all know what happened. I mean, that blew up in comic book news, too. You know, back, what was that? Issue, yep. it was 44. 44. 44. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, when you think about it, that's been a long time ago. <laughs> it, yes, sir. 70 Jeez, issues. Golly, it doesn't seem that long ago. Uh, and Donatello, he replies, ah, I'll be okay. I have good days and bad days, but I have some good techniques for grappling with it at this point. Regardless, if you want to talk about it, I understand what it's like facing someone who nearly killed you. So I'm like, wow, there's a connection between the two I didn't really put together. I forgot about. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, and I want to say this, and I don't know if I've ever said this before. I love Sophie Campbell's version of the Turtles. I love their proportions. I love their faces. I love how she can tell their story through their eyes. I just love her version of the Turtles. They remind me of the movie turtles a little bit, like the mm-hmm. 1990 movie turtles a little bit, just the way they're shaped. But gosh, they just, I just love the way she draws the turtles. But yeah, but yeah, back to that. Uh, Jenica responds, "You ever wish that you could kill Bebop and Rocksteady?" And man, it's one of my favorite parts here because we get Donatello. He looks at her kind of through the side, and then he hesitates, and then he finally says, "No." And I find that so fascinating. So he follows it up and says, Yeah. Sometimes I find myself absentmindedly wishing that they were dead, but I've never actually wanted it to happen, much less to be the one to do it. Jenica, she's kind of like, wow, okay. She's like, yeah, it just seems like it would be so much simpler if they were gone. Them, Karai, all those people. And Donatello, he goes, I'm not sure that it would be simpler. It could even be more difficult than it is now. And then our Valley Girl shows back up. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, Lena! Uh, so she crashes the party as they're having this pretty deep discussion. And yeah. Raph goes, ah, oh, geez, it's you. And she's like, look, Lena, seriously, <laughs> you need to give me that scepter. You need to get back right now. The, this, is, this is another section. So the, the Jenica and Karai section and then this Donatello and Jenica section are, to me at least, easily the far and away the like strongest scenes of this book and maybe it it might be some of the best stuff Sophie's done since you know like 105 right like 105 we got so uh, or excuse me 101 through 105 we just got to really dig into the characters and dig into their grief and dig into like how they were coping and as much as it was a bummer to see these characters that I know and love be so sad I love that, like you said, I I love that type of, uh, or or excuse me, like we talked about earlier, I love that type of storytelling. I can I can see the Ninja Turtles be ninjas in almost any iteration that I find them in, but it's it's few and far between when you find really good iterations where they focus on the teenager part or just like the the character part. So reading this kind of a it showed us that donnie and jenica have a shared connection through past experiences through near-death experiences or if you want to call them death experiences they have a, a connection through shared trauma 
they probably both got, you know, some form of PTSD and they're both literally characters who have died and were brought back in a body that they don't recognize or that they're not a hundred percent comfortable in. And they had to learn to grapple with being in that new body. And then of course, now we've got Donnie back in mostly his body, but he's got his metal shell, which I love that Sophie takes the time to show those little like metal sections as like rivets or screws or something on Donnie's shell because when he came back, they somebody in issue 50 or 51 or whatever it was made a comment about him having like a metal chunk in his shell, but nobody ever really got into like actually drawing it on there. And Sophie always, when she can, you see that it's not a natural shell. Huh, but I don't know if I ever noticed that. Wow, that is fascinating to me. Uh, dude, in some of the earlier issues where the where the turtles are wearing like human clothes, it was the only way I could differentiate Donnie because Sophie was doing a lot of stuff where they weren't wearing their masks, and it, it wasn't all as easy as the color coordinated pajamas. So wow. I was always looking for like those little sections on the ridge of his shell, like okay, that's Donatello or Leonardo's got the scar. Or Raph, I think Sophie draws Raph and Mikey as the shortest ones. But um, to to piggyback off what you were saying, dude, Sophie is definitely one of my favorite Turtles artists. Oh, yeah. um, I still there's like a, a slight edge for me or a slight preference for me for Matea Santoloco because I just there's there's like a kind of anime feel to it and there's just this real. I don't know that he was just like the first modern turtles artist that I really loved the the style. But when, when Sophie did the Northampton stuff after city fall, I really liked her kind of innocent looking, soft looking, chunky turtles. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what she's done in the year since. And then when she took over with art duties is now it's like, she's found a really, really dope balance between the the softness that she did and the roundness that she did and the kind of chunky proportions and then melding that and kind of merging that with the leaner, more muscular, kind of less, um, I almost want to say like the chibi designs. Like yeah. you ever see like like that type of stuff in anime and yeah. whatnot? That's fascinating because like I didn't even think about how much her artwork's just changed with the turtles, but you're right. Yeah. Oh, dude, if you look at the Northampton stuff to this, it's it's not night and day, but it's close. It's like dusk and, and dawn. And, yeah, right. <laughs> and even from then um, to um, Karai's path and universe, you could see her style changed. Right. Yes. Yes. Good call. Good call. And and so, dude, like you said, man, what she what she is capable of doing with their facial features and with just the the looks in their eyes is so impressive to me and this might be weird to some people but dude the top panel on page 15 where Donatello says sometimes i find myself absentmindedly wishing they were dead yada 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 that look of Donatello like the look in his eyes and just the way the panel is framed and the way he looks and the his eyes and the shadows man i wit i i think Sophie works digitally but I, man, do I wish there was pencil and inks of this yeah. because I, w or, or just pencils of this, because I would do 
whatever I could to try and I love the way Donatello looks in yeah, that top it's funny. panel. It's, wow, we both thought the um, same thing. Isn't that crazy? Dude, and, and I know I know Donnie's your boy, so you're probably <laughs> a little bit biased, but it is it is just such a striking panel that I'm just like, man, I I wish I could own it. And I'm glad I I have I buy two copies of almost every Turtles book. Oh, awesome. at least of the ongoing at least. And and so I'm I'm glad that I have it in this form two ways, but anyway, so yeah, really really great stuff here on pages 14 and 15 and again just can't say enough about Sophie's art and and then what she's done with the characters and how she builds them up and and honestly man you know to if I can get a little personal for a second oh, and I know we're almost done and I'm like stretching it out but oh no you're good man I I have uh Rob you might find this hard to believe but I've never been killed um, <laughs> get out of here and and i've i've also besides like one kind of crazy car accident that i was in i've i've never been almost killed and 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 never being killed i've never been resurrected but what donatello says about absent-mindedly wishing they were dead or or what jenica says about like it would be simpler if they were just gone there have been a couple things that I've experienced and, and dealt with in my life where I've had those exact feelings about people. Um, yeah. I wish I wished I didn't. Uh, and now as I've grown away from those things, like obviously I don't wish harm on anyone. Oh, of course. Yeah. Especially like that level of harm on anyone. But it, there was things that I went through as a younger man that that people did to um, either me or my family where I was 100% like, like obviously I'm not going to do anything to this person, but man, it really wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt my feelings one bit if this person was just gone tomorrow. Well, I think that's a very human feeling to feel. Yeah. And, and it is. Um, and so I, again, it's just one more way that, that Sophie is just giving us character depth and, and humanizing, um, the turtles, and that's what I love to see from these characters. Again, like I mentioned, we get to see them be ninjas quite a bit. We get to see them eat pizza quite a bit. We get to see them, you know, crack jokes and fight Shredder and all that stuff. And I love all that stuff. It's almost my fandom for almost anything in my life. You could kind of almost tangentially connect it back to turtles. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love seeing these guys be brothers. I love seeing them be people. I love seeing them talk about how they feel. So I, I just, again, I could go on and on about this stuff, no, but that's I good stuff, man. I, I, I really, I really dig it. It's really good stuff. I, I think this is, and again, like you know, you brought up earlier, Tom Waltz's style and like the cadence and pacing that he got into in his hundred issues. Tom was also excellent at at character development and oh, yeah. story development. And it's it's so cool now that we have a hundred issues from Tom to to compare and contrast with what we've seen from Sophie because it's totally two different styles, but it was totally two people that really enjoy and care about these characters. And then it's probably, you know, it's a testament to Bobby Curnow as an editor and how he keeps all these things glued together and, yeah. you know, is kind of probably the backbone of the book. 
And then it's, you know, a testament to Kevin having, you know, good ideas and, uh, you know, the, the stuff that he contributes as a story consultant and whatnot. Um, so, well, you hit the nail on the head, my friend, that you really have, because like one of the other things I was going to say, I love about this issue is it really makes you, uh, appreciate the fact that it's, it's making major connections that, that, that go way back. I mean, like you said, issue 44. So that, that just ties in everything that Tom Waltz has done and it makes it feel connected. You know, sometimes when you get a new writer or a new artist or whatever, you get a little worried that it's going to be so different. But this stuff, I mean, it's different in the style, but it, it's still the same universe. And Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, I still feel that continuity reading these books. And man, you know, like you said, you're all about the brotherhood. I am too. I love that about these books. My, my favorite, one of my favorite volumes ever was volume four, which is very much character driven, um, slower burn, but they ended up being my favorite because we finally got to take a breath and really understand and relate yeah, to our characters, yeah. you know? Yeah, man. No, it's, it's good stuff. So, uh, so to, to continue on, like Rob said, Renette shows up again, terrible timing. We're getting a great conversation between Donnie and Jenica and Renette interrupts from a, entire other dimension and leonardo kind of pleading with her says renette if you let her stay talking about lita staying we promise we'll have her come back as soon as possible and jenica's like can't she just you know time travel to put the scepter back the same moment she left so it'd be like it was never gone <laughs> and then alapex is like time lord jenica over here Lita goes on to say, uh, it doesn't quite work like that. The 79th dimension is separate from, and Jenica's like, okay, whatever, never mind. <laughs> and so Leo, again, talking to Renette, is like, I know we don't know each other that well, at least this incarnation of us, but what if Lita says is true? But if what Lita says is true, then our family and everyone we care about is in danger. Give us a week to sort this out. And Renette's like, you know what? Of course. You guys are so cute. I can't say no to you. Bye bye. <laughs> and freaking Mikey, I love that Michelangelo's oh, speech bubble is a heart. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but something that I thought was interesting here, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with Karai saying something about, you know, death bringing them new bodies and new lives or whatever you want to call it. Leo says, Renette, I know we don't know each other that well at least this incarnation of us. And it made me wonder, and also shout out to a Twitter friend slash follower, um, Josie mentioned this in a little Twitter rant slash review on Twitter. What is Leo talking about when he says this incarnation of us? Is he saying like, this version of us as these turtles right now, not the young men that we were in Japan. Is he, is he referencing their prior lives? Or is dimension. he referencing, yeah, right. Is he referencing something else from the IDW continuity, like the turtles in time miniseries that we got where the turtles go into the past a little bit and then they jump too far in the future and we meet future Donnie who's kind of down and out and, you know, is Leo referencing that? Like, Renette knows a future version of them? 
Or is it something else entirely and Leo's making some kind of meta like, hey, Renette, you only know us from the Mirage comics, but here we are in the IDW comics. <laughs> like, I I don't think it's that because I don't think that Sophie and the team would go for like a kind of wall-breaking joke like well, that. I, I, but you know, it's funny you bring that up because I, and maybe I'm just, I think I remember this. I swear when Renette is in volume one, I think Michelangelo had a thing for her back then. You know, oh really? So I, I maybe I'm just remember thinking that was true and it's not. But I just thought it was so fitting that he's the one that has a thing for her, and she's like, you know, he's like, she's a babe. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think dude, I think in the 2012 show he's got a thing for her also. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe it's Shinigami. I can't remember. Mikey's definitely got a a thing for somebody. But, anyways. Um, <laughs> We go over to the next page, and Mikey says, I always love when she shows up. And Jenica's like, okay, who was that? Leo's like, let's focus. Keep your eyes peeled. And then they hear somebody say, mama? Oh, that's we, all, we all know who that's going to be. Mikey points out they got to be the mutants that Bludgeon was talking about. Man, they are huge. One is another turtle, too. That was cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad somebody was like, hey, you know, another turtle. Lita says, that's them, Toka and Razar. Leo says, hey, you're familiar with them? And then some possibly scary, teasery verbiage here from Lita. She says, I am, yeah, but wow, I forgot how small they used to be. Mm -hmm. And Raph goes, small? These guys are supposed to be babies? And Lita says, well, um... They get way bigger when they grow up. And it totally makes me think, and and I only think this again because I follow Sophie Campbell on Twitter. And uh, I see where you that, with this. Yep. that she is a big fan of Japanese kaiju movies and comics and whatnot. She likes big Japanese monsters like Godzilla and so on and so forth. And and of course I can only name drop Godzilla and like his handful of friends because that's really like the extent of my knowledge in that realm but Sophie Campbell is a big fan of that type of stuff so I cannot help but think holy crap are we going to get a giant like skyscraper tall token Razar like oh, in man. in the future are we going to get a Godzilla sized Toka or a Godzilla sized Razar because obviously they're already ginormous they they tower over the turtles and when we get to the last page and we get the the cover tease for the next issue 115 toka and razar tower over rock city and bebop like we're talking like it'd be like me looking up to lebron james like that's what we're <laughs> seeing here and so i'm like man lita is saying like they're way smaller than she remembers them or or they're going to be way bigger, whatever she says, is like, are they going to be like like a school bus size big or are they going to be a building size big? Like what what's happening? And I mean, I guess technically they already are. They could already be school bus size. They basically exploded out of a helicopter. And Yes, I was going to um, say, I was going to say, <laughs> I mean, you look at the size of those guys and that perspective of the street. I'm like, how big was that? They have to, they had to have grown since they uh, since the helicopter crash. That's the only explanation. And 
<laughs> that's a good point, dude. So it makes me wonder, like, is that what we're going to end up dealing with is whatever has happened to token Razar and their mutation, are they just mutating exponentially faster or larger than other mutants? So they're, they're in danger of becoming building size mutants. We, uh, that's, that's probably speculation for another time, but these next couple pages go from very sweet to very not sweet. So I'll let you get us started on that. <laughs> oh, I love this part. I really do. This is great. So they finally, uh, they, they finally confront Toka and Razar. And Michelangelo, my man, he shows up. He goes, hey, guys, uh, my name's Mikey. We're not going to hurt you. Uh, but you got to stop scaring people and wrecking stuff, okay? <laughs> and Toka's like, orange on your head? <laughs> and uh, he goes, uh, that's actually my ninja mask. You guys hungry? And then when, you know, I didn't see the other panels when I first opened this page. I was like, oh, is he going to do it? And I didn't even notice he had the donut already in his hand. So I, I totally marked out for him. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yep. And I love Alapex. She's like, ew, Mikey, you had a donut in your pocket? <laughs> <laughs> that was pocket great. donut, dude. Can't leave home without amen, it. Amen, amen. That's exactly right. He goes, I get hungry on patrol sometimes. You know, you got to have your pre-fight donut. So uh, he's, you know, very gingerly uh, offering it to Toka. Mikey goes, Mama, is that who you're looking for? Donatello says, they must mean cry. If they're infants, maybe they think that, think of her as their surrogate parent. And Leo goes, we have to figure out how to keep them calm and get them back to the, to the dojo. We'll, we'll figure out how we can contain them there. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they do not. They do not make it far. <laughs> no, and then Razar, he's like totally trolling Raph. He just takes his headband. He's like, "That's mine." He goes, "Ooh, red." Uh, yep. And then uh, Toka, you know, they they both start, uh, you know, trying to get at the mass. And Raph, being Raph, he goes, "Hey, give me that." Which not smart, you know. Razar's a little nope. bit taller. And now, oh, this part's great. Razar actually cries because Raph yelled yep. at him. <laughs> Dude, so it, this giant wolf dude is killing me in these couple panels. Oh, it's dude. great. He's so, so cute. And then then we get horror Toka again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Toka's just like, ah, you made my friend mad. So uh, she, uh, or Toka punches Raph, just throws him around like a rag doll. Toka's not happy and uh, attacks all of them. And R- Razar eventually gets in on the action. Toka grabs Jenica by the leg and slings her. And do you want to describe the last page? I think it's kind of comical. Dude, it is It is comical. And terrifying. And terrifying. <laughs> it's like anybody who's seen Secret of the Use, which obviously there's a couple great shout-outs here to Secret of the Use. The donut referencing the pre-fight donut. And then Toka just straight-up launching Jenica is obviously a throwback to Toka throwing, or no, I think it's Razar actually that throws Donatello like into the barn, but basically throws him like the length of a football field (laughs) through a barn. And Toka just with one arm holding Jenica by her leg, throws her from the ground from street level, throws her and my math is probably not accurate here but I kind of fudged it based on how many windows I can see and like how many stories I think that would be. And so my estimate is that that is at least a seven story building could be a 10 story building based on the perspective. Like, you know, we're looking up to the top of the building and dude, Leo's face is like 
concerned and angry, and Donatello's face is just like, oh crap. Uh, what? <laughs> did did this thing just throw Jenny onto Jenny's a dead. seven story roof from the street? Yeah, she can't come back from that one. Oh, dude, that's <laughs> just like, geez. Like, first off, I hope Jenica is okay. Like, obviously, she's got a shell. She's gonna land on you know some stuff that it's gonna break her fall, and. And it's probably a good thing that she's actually getting thrown up to the roof, like instead of from the roof. Yeah. <laughs> but we get those two crazy panels where Toka just throws Jenica like a baseball. <laughs> and then this bottom kind of splash image is just Toka and Razar, no more baby mode. They are just straight up monster mode. And Leo's like, get ready, guys. And maybe for the first time ever in these comics, we see Raph like, nah, dude, it's time to get the heck out of here. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, screw that retreat. And that is the end of the issue. And and again, the, the cover for 116 is on the very next, you know, the very next page to the right. And Toka and Razar are just towering over Rocksteady and Bebop. And I don't think I noticed this before. Rocksteady looks like super confident, like, oh man, yeah. I'm about to have some fun. Like, we're going to scrap these dudes up. And Bebop's like, uh, I'm not sure this is a good idea. That is a good <laughs> he's, point. He's sweating a little bit. Yeah, I didn't even notice that before. Yeah, good point. But that goes to show you, too, it's like, even with Bebop and Rocksteady being so much smaller, which, you know, is something they're probably not used to, it doesn't phase, well, at least it doesn't phase Rocksteady, but, uh, I I love that yeah, about he's, them. He's 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 ready to go. Yeah, I love that about them. I mean, they're fearless, or at least again, like Rocksteady is. But you, you look at this cover; it's hard to tell if Toka and Razar are grimacing or if they're smiling. Like you, you could make a case for either one. Like, are they doing a team up here, or are they about right. to have a battle? But it makes me think with the way Rocksteady's pounding his fists or cracking his knuckles. They're about to get in a fight, which I can't wait for. So uh, you know what? That's that's a good point, dude. I didn't think about it like that. Like with them, with them facing off with each other like that. You know, it looks like it looks like Toka and Razar are like we're about to have some fun. Like whatever's yeah. about to happen, we think it's going to be fun. I mean, you could argue they Rox- both look like they're smiling almost. R- I yeah, I think to me it looks like they're both smiling. Rocksteady looks like he is smiling. Bebop. Looks like he's about to use the bathroom on himself. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I'm keeping it PG there. Yeah, but, I respect that. you know, he, he does not look excited about what's possibly about to happen. So, but it also, you know, kind of a subversion of expectations. It could be somebody told them, like, hey, you guys are going to go find them and team up with them and take out the turtles. So it could be like, Token Raza are like, hey, friends. And Rocksteady and Bebop are like, oh, well, Rocksteady's like, yeah, we're your friends. Let's, you know, fight these guys. And Bebop's like, I'm not sure I want friends like these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. And it's like, it's like a kid's dream come true. You know, we remember at what oh, we saw. Dude. So, yeah, Secret of the Use. Everyone's thinking, oh, it's going to be Bebop and Rocksteady. I'm so excited from the cartoon. And then we yep. got Token Raza, which was great. I mean, I thought the visual was so awesome at the time. But yep. uh, now to see, you know, all four of them together here in comic form, probably for the first time. I can't think of another time this has ever been done. This is pretty sweet, pretty pretty daggone awesome. And this is this is a first. And I think a, yeah, man. a lot of people, um, 
I don't know if we've talked about this a whole lot, but Sophie has really introduced a lot of firsts in uh, these. She has, yeah, in these fourteen issues. Yeah, I mean, just another reason why I love what she's done. One hundred percent, dude. You know, this is this is big time. Like you said, people people went into Secret of the Use thinking, oh man, more mutants. Like, yes, we're gonna get to see Rock City and Bebop. And Secret of the Use was like, no, you're not. You're gonna see. You're gonna see this wolf guy and this snapping turtle. And so people were probably, you know, disappointed at first. And then it came back to be like, okay, you know, if you like Secret of the Use, you probably like it in part because Token Razar are funny, and you know they've got the big fight scenes. But it's you know thirty something years later now, and we're finally gonna get to see these four characters in action either against each other or teaming up or whatever's going to happen. You know, that Rock City and Bebop existed in the 2012 universe and Toka existed in the, oh, Rosar, excuse me, Razar also existed in the 2012 universe, but he was um, Bradford who mutated into Dog Pound who mutated into Razar. Mm-hmm. Toka was like a giant space alien space turtle. So... They, they all existed in their own, you know, various forms and fashions. So this right here feels like it's going to be like a big fan type of, you know, Titans collide. This is stuff that we probably all did with our action figures is like Rock City and Bebop fighting Toka and Razar. And now we're going to get to see it in official Ninja Turtles media. So, you know, I, um, I, I not a big fan of the like speculation buying with comic books and stuff, you know, buying comic books, hoping they're going to be worth money and trying to like sell things because it's a first of this or a first of that or whatever. But like you said, dude, Sophie's introduced a lot. So I feel like the market right now for these newer turtle books is, is kind of hot, like a, because of last Ronin and then B because, you know, Sophie gave us, um, she gave us Lita we just had Jenica in 95 and now we've got, you know, Token Razar's first appearance in the IDW universe. And now we've got Token Razar potentially about to fight Rocksteady and Bebop. Like this stuff is going to be big time for people who care about turtles and care about turtles comics. Yeah. And, and the thing that's so fascinating is it, as cool as it is to see Toka and Razar, Bebop and Rocksteady back, it, as cool as that was, and I love it. I I think the standout parts were more the again the characters like um, tur- the turtles. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, dude. isn't that That's, crazy? It's dude. It's a great point, and you know I I meant to say like you know eventually get into like a overall thoughts type of thing about the issue, but but that's exactly it, man. Is like you we're we're staring down the barrel of this potentially epic gun that's going to be Toka and Razar fighting Rock City and Bebop. We've got Toka launching Jenica onto a roof, and it's it's really it's not even the best part of the issue. Yeah. The best part of the issues are Jenica and Karai, and then Jenica and Donnie. Again, in my opinion, I love the I love the fight scene with Raph and Jenny. It's it's just great stuff, dude. It's a it's an awesome issue. One one twelve was rad. One thirteen was rad. One fourteen is just like I said, man sparks sparks turning into little flames that i feel like are going to turn into even bigger flames this this kind of feels like again we we don't know how long 
Sophie's going to be around now, like officially. I don't know if it's going to be like an, an easy number, like 130 or 135 or 140. But it kind of feels like she went into the scripting of these issues thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out with a bang. And yeah. so this kind of feels like Sophie doing, like she she built up and prepared us for her version of like a city at war level story. And now here we are getting it, like where the the pieces are in place with Jenica and Karai and Toka and Razar, Roxetti, Bebop, Lita, the the Time Scepter, the Turtles. There's, there's all kinds of moving pieces just like there was in City at War, not to mention Hob is still out there, Rat King exactly. is still out there. We don't know what Casey and April are up to. So there's there's a lot of stakes that we were introduced to in 113 with, you know, the potential messed up future that we saw. But it's it's really cool to see all these different little machinations going on, and I, I can't wait to see how it all pays off. Oh, man, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in the last issue I said, man, they just get better and better. And then this, sure enough, this one was, I, I like this even better than the last issue. And right. so, and boy, you hit the nail on the head, too. This was her limited run i mean we're on 114 and i guess at the time she probably thought she was only up to she'd be going to 120 and then now 123 or beyond 123 but even with that she has really turned up the heat and i think and i'm just speculating here i think i mean i've not even seen a lot of negative feedback about these these issues but you know i i've i've seen on twitter a few times um with i, I just think that some people just assumed that because the first few issues were kind of slower paced that that this is that's going to be the norm you know this is going to be the norm and it's not i think it's it's been slowly and gradually building into something pretty powerful in mutant town i mean it's oh. getting more and catastrophic every single issue but it's it's been one of those builds that that has taken time but guess what it was time well taken because now we care about it a heck of a lot more, you know? Yeah. No, man. And you're absolutely right. And to your point, I think the, the people that are out there complaining, and I'm sure they're all on the technodrome, which I just stay away <laughs> from nowadays. But what, what you have to remember is this isn't Sophie's first Ninja Turtle rodeo. Of course. Yeah. She's, she's been connected to turtles, not only since, you know, she did the art for the Northampton run, that we spoke about. She did that Karai little arc in universe. She did a Leonardo one shot back in uh, the early days of IDW. But not only that, but she used to work on Mirage stuff back in the yeah. day. Mm -hmm. So she knows these characters. She loves these characters. I mean, clearly you can, when she's naming characters after, stuff from the Ninja Turtle role-playing, like, tabletop role-playing yeah. game. Like, that's somebody who knows their stuff, yeah. you know? And she clearly knows her stuff. She clearly cares about the characters. She's clearly put some thought into what she would do with these toys in this sandbox. And then a lot of people also forget that story consulting is being done by Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman. Exactly. So the people who shaped the first eight years of this story 
still have a hand, whether it be just a gentle guiding hand or a, no, it kind of needs to go like this, you know, subtle or less subtle, whatever you want to call it, this this is not Sophie, again, this is not Sophie's first rodeo, and the people who have shaped this book from the beginning are still there helping to shape this book. So I think you're absolutely right, dude. Like, we got this, these first chunk of issues with Sophie where she was literally just, you know, she was letting her freak flag fly, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? She was saying, this is my style. I'm now running this universe. This is what I want to bring to it. This is this is my party, and here's the food and drinks and desserts and whatever we're going to have at this party. She let us sample all that stuff for a handful of issues, and now she's like, okay, I've got the music, and it's time to dance. And so these are... It's it's dance time now, dude. And by dance, I mean giant mutant fight in mutant time. <laughs> um, like, I, so I think you're absolutely right, dude. Like, it's not just... I don't think Sophie ever had any intentions of just doing a 100% character-driven, you know, quote-unquote slow drag-out character, like intimate character study of the Turtles type of comic book. She knows the sandbox that she's playing in. She's no, She knows the toys that she's playing with. These guys are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. She's giving us all the aspects of those characters. She just happens to be better or or she's more well-suited to focusing on a certain aspect that strengthens that aspect, but we're still getting all the other stuff we like. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm in for the ride, man. I, I can't wait to see more. Oh, me too. Man. I can't, can't get 115 soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. I know. And, and yeah, that's how this issue ends. I mean, so many things to look forward to in the future. Um, I think we're about to get to some pretty epic stuff. Like, you can just feel it. it it's coming. Um, so, man, I, just another solid issue. Just another solid issue. And uh, it, it feels like this one just came out, like, back-to-back -back with 113. There didn't seem to be much of a delay at all. But maybe that's because, like, I, I'm comparing it to Last Ronin. <laughs> in that way. Uh, <laughs> no, you you know what, man? I did see somebody say on Twitter, like because of however the release schedule worked out, one thirteen did come out later in the month of January. So one fourteen, it it wasn't a full month. I think it was only three weeks. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I think I think one fifteen might do the same thing. Let me check real quick. I've got it saved right here. Yeah, well, phone. while you're checking, um, yeah, 115 will be on Zach's feed. Uh, and by the way, Zach uh, has an awesome Ninja Turtles podcast. If you've somehow not heard his show, we do crossovers uh, called Booyaka Tales Radio. That's what this is right here, where we alternate feeds and alternate issues of the comic book. So we actually talked about issue 113 on his feed, which is Booyaka Show. On uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast dedicated to not just the 2012 Nickelodeon series, but every aspect of the toys, the comics. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of his show, so go go su subscribe too. I promise you will not be disappointed, and you'll hear more of my rambling too. If you want to hear that, I don't know if that really <laughs> that probably doesn't sell your show very good. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're the best. Thank you so much for the kind words, and of course. I had to check to prove myself wrong, of course. Uh, the next, the next issue comes out March tenth, so it will almost be. It'll be exactly a month from the time we're recording this. Um, but 
Yeah. Like Rob said, I do have a Turtles podcast. It is called Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast, and I appreciate him plugging me like an all-star friend. Um, I talk about all kinds of turtle stuff. I try to focus on the comics and the 2012 cartoon show, but I do a really bad job of focusing on the 2012 cartoon show. It's mostly (laughs) comics and toys and just discussion stuff, but I get the 2012 stuff in there when I can. But like Rob said, that is Booyaka Show, a TMNT podcast. We're doing Booyaka Tales is our ongoing team-up covering IDW's main ongoing comic book series but to again piggyback off of rob we're also doing a team up with last ronin coverage so the first episode of that was on my podcast which you can go back through my feed and find that and now that issue two is finally landing on us next week that coverage will actually also be here on turtle tales radio so the scheduling just happened to work out because of the way that Rob and I announced this thing where we're, we're alternating feeds. It just so happened to work out with scheduling that Rob gets two back-to-back episodes. So if you guys like listening to Rob and I talk about Turtles comics and you like listening to Rob's excellent Turtle podcast, Turtle Tales Radio, then you are in for a treat because you're getting back-to-back Rob and Zach. You're welcome for making that rhyme. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. See, this is... You're good at what you do, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah, for sure. So, so first of all, thank you so much, man, for for the for putting me over. You know, we've we've been doing some wrestling <laughs> terms tonight, but uh, yeah, for sure, guys. I'm super excited about it. Um, and uh, I'm I'm much like Zach. Uh, I try to squeeze a turtles uh, tales of the team NT book in here where I can, <laughs> but right now there's there's so many um new things coming out. I mean, it, it'd be a crime not to talk about it. So. We're really excited, and I can't think of uh, you know a, a better person to to do this crossover with than you, man. I I, I think it's it's going to be a ton of fun, and yeah, next week we'll be talking about the last Ronin, so stay tuned for that. It'll be on this feed, and um, and always, guys, it really helps us both out um, if if you guys write us a review on iTunes. I know I can't speak for Zach's show, but I know for me, I don't have many listeners, and I don't think a lot of people even know this show exists. So one of the ways that iTunes will uh, broadcast the show is if you if somebody writes a new review, the show gets showcased in more libraries more often. So it's one of the best ways to just help the show. I know it's a little extra time. I know uh, that can be a challenge for some. But if you feel led, just know that it's very much appreciated and it does help us both out very much. So, uh so yeah, man, uh, with all that said, any last things you want to say about this issue or Turtles in general, my friend, before we close it out? Man, I just I got to say props again, dude, to to Sophie Campbell, yes. Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, Rhonda Patterson, Sean Lee, the letterer. You guys are just absolutely knocking it out of the park. Bobby Crenot editing. Shout out to Sophie. Shout out to uh, John at the Sewer Den. Drew, what's up, guys? Um, thank you guys for listening and, uh, we'll catch you next time. For sure. For sure, guys. Uh, I just to echo what Zach's saying, uh, man, Sophie Campbell, if you're still listening, thank you for listening to our show (laughs) and and, and for the rest of the gang, uh, uh, man, so many friendships I've met through, through you, Zach, uh, you know, shout out to the same guys, Drew, uh, John, you know, so many others. I'm just grateful to do this podcast. Grateful to have this wonderful community. 
Grateful to talk turtles books, awesome turtle books, and uh, grateful to talk with you, man. So, uh, I guess same, on, buddy. Thanks, man. And uh, you know, the question we all want to know, Zach, at a, almost eleven o'clock at night, is what type <laughs> of pizza are we going to have to close out another totally tubular episode of Booyaka Tales Radio? Oh man, I uh, you know what I forgot that you do this and you put me on the spot but <laughs> oh, luckily sorry, luckily I am prepared because this week Wednesday I believe was uh yesterday was National Pizza Day. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday. It was Ooh. National Pizza Day. So I came home and my wife and I made DIY homemade pizzas and so I'm going to leave you guys with a slice of the pizza that I prepared for myself because I loved it. I made a pizza that had uh, shredded chicken, Ooh. broccoli, and walnuts. <laughs> really? Really, dude. I cannot stress to Rob and you guys, the listeners, if you've never put walnuts on a pizza, do it now. Do I need it. you. I cannot stress enough. I need you to A, do what Rob said, leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, and then B, I need you to go to the store, buy supplies to make a pizza, and put walnuts on it. I bought a bag of just walnuts, walnut halves or whatever, and I put sauce, cheese, obviously on the crust. I didn't just throw this stuff in the oven. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sauce, cheese, the broccoli, crumble the walnut halves all over the pizza, cooked that for about 10 minutes, brought it out of the oven, added the shredded chicken, added more cheese, baked that for about 10 minutes. Oh my goodness. It was a it was a shell-raising pizza. Oh, I loved it. Very nice. So so yeah, chicken broccoli walnuts. Let's go. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, Josh at work, he has a thing about chicken on pizza, so uh, he, he can't oh, stand it. Oh, it's so it. good. <laughs> it's so that's chi- great. Chicken is good on anything. Oh, yes, I agree with that. I agree. All right, guys. Well, thank you so, so much for listening. It's been a blast. On behalf of my good buddy, Zach, and myself, we hope you have a great week. And uh, here's to hoping you enjoy a mega slice of shredded chicken, broccoli, and walnut pizza. Calabunga, <laughs> dudes. Later. Later.